Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue podcast Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, special midweek episode. Uh, Nick, breaking news, the alert, the press wire is is a buzz. Uh, so we had to see if Matt Law would jump up a week and discuss one heck of a week in the Chelsea football and really just societal uh, circles. Yeah. Yeah. We, look, Matt, we... we we were going to do this next week, but it just it just didn't feel <laughs> it didn't feel right, uh, given everything that's happened over the last 72 whole hours that, that we've been on this planet. So I uh, wanted to bring you on to talk everything European Super League, because that is the predominant story right now. Yeah, I mean, look, I've not known in my in my career, I've not known a 72 hours like it. Honestly, I've never known anything like it. And last night, uh, so Wednesday night. Um, I was at the Tottenham game and got home. It's the first night I've actually slept properly in that 72 hours. Sunday night, I couldn't sleep. Monday night, I couldn't sleep. And Tuesday night, when it all unraveled, the adrenaline of covering that. I likened that night on Twitter to Game of Thrones, the Red Wedding, when, you know, everyone was going around sort of killing each other. Um, (laughs) I just, I've I've never known anything like it. I really haven't. And I'm still slightly sort of... um, not, in sh- not in shock is, is not the right word, but I'm still sort of slightly tense that there's, there's a bit more to come. I'm still slightly, it doesn't quite feel real that that all, all happened and went away so quickly. It, it's been phenomenal and not phenomenal in a good way, although it was nice to see everything turn around in, in favour of, of, of the right thing on, on Tuesday night. Well, I promise you we have much to talk talk about, and there's not a whole lot that we really want to get in the way of this. So quick overview, obviously a lot of Super League discussion, probably a little bit more Super League discussion than we'll wrap with some Super League discussion, uh, but mainly how mm. Chelsea was part of the, in quotations, big six, or I apologize for you, abroad inverted commas, as I'm learning, uh, the English clubs who hatched the gateway plan and until they were then the first to bail. So so interesting, leading the charge and then immediately U-turning and leading the exit from their own plan. Uh, and then what went on behind the scenes at Chelsea to cause the reversal 
uh, besides the fact that Petr Cech is literally larger than life because as our friend Joe Tweed said, why not sacrifice a legend to an angry mob uh, instead of facing the crowd themselves? So, Dan, over to you. Let's go ahead and uh, dive right into this Super League stuff. Yeah, well, Matt, we got a little bit of your initial kind of reaction. You had some uh, very powerful tweets, but I mean, just maybe if you could sum up what was your initial reaction, not even just a journalist, but as a, you know, a individual who's grown up in the English game as a longtime Villa fan, I think you had probably both a a personal reaction about as a football fan, but then also a journalist covering Chelsea too, which I imagine might be two dissimilar, maybe similar feelings. No, I mean, the, the, the feeling was the same, to be honest with you. And you, you can't, if, if you've been a fan of a football club for all your life, I don't think in something like this, you can't separate it. You can't have a professional opinion and you can't have a personal opinion. You you have an opinion. It, it's too it's too big a thing. It's too emotional. It's too all-consuming. So, so look, my my reaction to it and my feeling on it was utter disgust. I mean, th- that bad. I mean, it, it felt when it broke on Sunday afternoon, I was, because you hear about the Super League so much and teams wanting to break away and stuff, Whenever these things break, whenever news on these things break, I'm always, I do put my foot on the ball a little bit. So on Sunday afternoon, I was kind of cynically thinking, okay, this feels like a bit of a negotiating tactic. The the Champions League reforms are due on the the following day. We've been here before with threats being released just before Champions League reforms. So I was kind of thinking foot on the ball. But then as as the the afternoon wore on, it, it, it felt different. And I've got to say, waking up on Monday morning and then, because I wasn't working on Sunday, so I wasn't making work calls on Sunday. It was my only day off last week. Um, so then come Monday morning, when I actually start to make calls on it and, and realise really the, the, what's truly going on behind the headlines, I, I wondered what sort of kind of fresh hell I'd woken up in, to be quite honest with you. It, it felt unreal. And yeah, it was just disgust, disgust at every single part of it. Disgust and disappointment. I mean, yeah, I, I think... Uh, as you saw, many fans felt the same way, um, if not all, almost. I think this was a maybe a unifying moment. You know, our, our friend Joe Tweed said, um, you know, among the big six clubs to have all of these supporters, trusts aligned, to have Arsenal and Spurs fans aligned in a, in a common purpose with Chelsea fans and Manchester United fans uh, is is crazy, but. Let's talk about how this all came together, um, specifically, specifically at Chelsea, but then you know, just from what you've gathered across the, the rest of the clubs, what happened here? Look, I mean, to give you full detail is quite difficult because obviously there's not a lot, there's still not a lot of transparency going on, which is disappointing. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think there ever will be. What we do know is these talks have been going on for about three years. Uh, driven in England by Liverpool and Manchester United, driven around the world by Barcelona, Real Madrid. Um, the the Spanish clubs, Real Madrid and Barcelona, are, are doing it because they've got themselves into such heavy debt and their league is in, in a massive financial problem. Liverpool and, and Manchester United's motives are, are purely about making money um, and cutting off competition because their their owners seem to like that. Chelsea, Tottenham, I have to say, when these first proposals were drawn up, Tottenham weren't in it. Tottenham weren't invited to the table. Tottenham had managed to muscle their way in. They were, I remember a story about three or four years ago about these clubs meeting about 
Super League plans and that Tottenham weren't involved. And Tottenham were furious at the time. But since building their stadium and everything, they've managed to weasel their way in, which again leaves a very sour taste that, you know, they were furious to be left out and then yet worked behind the scenes to actually get in there. In terms of Chelsea, I do believe, and I, I, I genuinely believe this, that they weren't drivers of the plan. They were sceptical of the plan and they were late to sign up to the plan, possibly as late as being informed last Thursday night stroke Friday that this was going ahead, whatever they did on Sunday, and they could sign up or not sign up. I'm not trying to absolve Chelsea of any blame whatsoever because they signed up and they have to take their medicine for that. They didn't have to sign up. But that is the state of play that I'm, I'm told in terms of Chelsea. Chelsea, I am also told, were not in favour of the idea of a league with no relegation and a league with no competition. They are in favour or have been in favour of the idea of a Super League. They don't like the, the way the Champions League, they don't like the way UEFA run the competition and they don't like the way the money is distributed, not just within the Champions League, but in terms of solidarity payments and things like that. They've been pushing for reform a lot of the time. So they do want a new competition or a new look competition. But they were, they were uncomfortable with a non-competitive one. But they just shouldn't have signed up. They shouldn't have got, got on board. I still, for the life of me, can't understand why they felt bullied into doing that. But they did. But that is the state of play. So Chelsea, I think, for the whole... Th the, the impression I get, and like I say, it's hard to know for sure because there's not a lot of transparency. The impression I get that Chelsea, for the last three years, have always been part of the talks. They've always been round the table. They've always been kept informed. But they haven't been leading it. They haven't been the ones drawing up proposals. They haven't been the ones setting timescales and setting deadlines. Um, and I do believe that they were last in and first out. To some people, so, that 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 is. Um, to some people, that absolves them of a bit of blame. To some people, it doesn't matter. That's your own personal opinion, I think. So, given that the Chelsea uh, half in, half out, maybe, maybe not type of response to participating in the Super League, who who gets to be a part of that decision? And, you know, I guess maybe like, is it a Bruce and Marina thing? Is it a Roman has 100% sign off on that? Like, what does that look like in terms of the, because I think that's maybe where the, the challenge is for supporters is trying to understand, yep. like, who is involved in that decision? Well, what we can say is that no decision as big as this goes ahead without Roman Abramovich signing it off. Yeah. So Roman Abramovich signed it off in terms of saying, yes, okay, you can sign up. And Roman Abramovich signed it off on uh, Tuesday evening to say, we're out. Now, this is where it gets sketchy because no one's going to put their hand up and admit to being the, the people who thought that this was a good idea at the time, especially now. I, from, from what I know of how Roman Abramovich runs Chelsea these days, I find it very difficult to believe that Roman would have taken a, a huge personal interest and put a huge amount of time into the planning around this Super League for the last three years or even in the last couple of weeks when things obviously started to move towards a conclusion my impression more is, is that other people in Chelsea would have been involved in that and that thing, then 
recommendations would have been made to Roman Abramovich. And it's then up to Roman whether he he agrees with the recommendation, whether he's happy to sign it off. And I'm assuming someone at some point told him, Roman, they're going ahead with this and we can't be left behind. And Roman said, OK, sign it. And then Roman quickly realised that it was an appalling idea. And lawyers started looking at whether they could get out. Because you've got to remember, Chelsea... I think Chelsea being the first to get out, I don't want to absolve them of any blame because I'm extremely disappointed in them and I'm I'm happy to talk about why in a minute. But I do think it is still significant that they were first to get out because I think what you've got to understand is that when Chelsea were pulling out and were talking to their lawyers about whether they could get out, they probably thought that it would start a deck of cards falling, but they didn't know that. And if nobody else would have pulled out, they could have been sued, you know, they, they could have been sued um, for millions. So by being the first, they were prepared to take probably a calculated risk. I think they were probably 95% sure that other clubs would follow them. But there would have been 5% that they could have ended up being punished for this by, obviously, the Super League that they'd signed up to and also then being left out of a future Super League were it to go ahead without them. So I still think there's a significance to that, even though it doesn't really dampen my disappointment in them. They, they would have been back-channeling with Manchester City, right? Or someone at the time, I'm not, wouldn't they? I think as Liverpool and Manchester United are cast as allies in drivers of this, I do think there's an alliance at some level between Chelsea and Manchester City because they... They're the two clubs of the English clubs who, from a financial point of view, don't actually necessarily need it or certainly wouldn't rely on it. And they're also the two clubs who have a different history to the other clubs. Tottenham's the outlier in this. Let's forget about Tottenham because, I mean, (laughs) frankly, (laughs) frankly, their participation in the whole thing was just vaguely ridiculous. But... You know, Manchester United and Liverpool are those global brands. They always have been. Arsenal have always been a massive Premier League brand. You've got to remember that until Roman Abramovich turned up, other than one season, only two clubs have won the Premier League, Manchester United and Arsenal. They're a huge Premier League brand, massive, massive overseas. Chelsea and Manchester City are are different. They've come from a different place. Um, And that's where I think that there breeds an alliance. And I think there would have been talks, but I still... I'm not convinced that they sort of did it together, holding hands as such, no. Well, fair. I mean, there's, I can't imagine, you know, like there was so much going on for Chelsea that night, right? Match versus Brighton, by the way, at home. Uh, angry mob of only 40 people who apparently were drove in on Swiss buses. <laughs> Big 40 right there. Cool. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, and like I said, them, you know, them, I, I did think it was a little funny that they sent Big Pete out. He almost seemed like a sacrificial lamb for the club I, trying. I've got to just correct you that he was not sent out. Oh, good. He, so it's he proactive. Was in, he was in no way sent out. In fact, I know initially there were people at the club who were not happy that he was out there because That's... they were worried that it could turn into a nasty situation. So he, I just, I think it's important to put on record that he was in no way sent out. He, he did that fully off his own back, probably upsetting people to start with. Uh, and, and it was risky. It was a risky thing to do. 
I think that is super important to get out there as well, because obviously he was seen as a pawn in the play. You're now correcting the record. That is... Ex- and I'm sure of that. I'm 100% sure good. of that. That's not speculation. So that that's very good to see. Uh, so then obviously, because that changes the, the, the narrative on, on that side, but so much going on that Tuesday night, you know, essentially you have a house divided. You have the, the team working on the on pitch performance that was completely missing. And I absolutely think that the super league was a massive distraction for all of these teams, Liverpool drawing leads, potentially, um, you know, us with Brighton, you know, with all that momentum, it just seemed stopped. Like I have, there's no doubt in my mind, Matt, that, that uh, the off the pitch stuff has, fully affected on the field for these top six and divided the Premier League. Well, this this is the other ridiculous thing about it now. If if Chelsea miss out top four by two points, you can fully blame what happened in that 72 hours on them dropping two points against Brighton, I think. I mean, the manager said it himself, that they, they couldn't focus. There was no way in a million years they could focus. I didn't bother going to the match in the end because I had too much other things to report on. And I knew that I couldn't report on a football match and report on what was going on with the Super League. There were people at Chelsea who were having to deal with the fallout and deal with what was going on who couldn't watch the match, who would normally be watching the match and instead were sitting in boardrooms. Nobody, let's face it, nobody cared about that match. And however much you want to say the players can shut themselves away, bollocks, absolute bollocks. They can't just switch it on and switch it off. They would have been all consumed like we were with the news of the Super League. The match would have been completely secondary to them. So those, if, if, if Chelsea missed the Champions League this season by two points, I mean, again, the, the people who made the decisions to be part of that can can put that on the list of things they're guilty for because I would lay that at their door as well. So, Matt, you made mention about the disappointment in Chelsea for getting into this. Can you expand a little bit more on the specifics of your disappointment? Yeah, yeah. I did write a piece about it, which which changed throughout the day, but I wrote a piece about why Abramovich should be embarrassed and ashamed to be getting into bed with the Cronkies and Levies of this world. Look, Everything the Super League stood for was what everybody rallied against Roman against when he first came into English football. Yep. Nobody wanted the competition. Nobody wanted someone coming along being brave enough to knock the traditional, well, it was really a big two then, Manchester United and Arsenal, big two, big three. They didn't want that. They, they didn't want people with money to come along who are prepared to spend their money to make their clubs better and to challenge for the best players. They wanted a free run at everything. That is exactly why David Dean at Arsenal talked about Roman Abramovich parking his tank on our, on our front lawns and firing £50 notes. And then if you then take it into Europe, they tried to do the same in Europe. It's exactly why FFP was created. You know, it wasn't created to to try and create this utopia of football where everyone has operates in the same means, because that clearly hasn't happened. What it was created for was to try and stop the Chelsea's and the Manchester cities of this world and protect the Liverpool's Manchester United's Bayern Munich's who can drive the biggest economies because of the, the size of their clubs historically. So everything the super league was for supported everything that was against Roman Abramovich 
when he came into English football. So that was a huge disappointment for me that that was forgotten when he jumped in. And by joining the Super League, he was signing up and Chelsea was signing up to however slight the chance may be of denying others the opportunity that he has capitalised on so brilliantly and that Chelsea have capitalised on so brilliantly and killing any hopes and dreams, even if it's a 1% dream, it's harder these days because of FFP, but the dream is still there. And to absolutely put a nail in that, I thought was completely hypocritical. And it was the same argument for Manchester City. They they were actually the two clubs I was most disappointed in because I expect it of Man United, I expect it of Liverpool, I expect it of Arsenal. They've been trying to do this kind of thing ever since sort of 1992. Chelsea and Manchester City need to remember where they came from. They need to remember what has made them the modern power they have. Both clubs, I should say, have a lot of history past the Premier League. I know that. But the modern power that they have has come from the kinds of hopes and dreams that they were trying to shut off for other people. And that was disgusting and that was disappointing and that was hypocritical. I think there's a lot uh, to remember uh, that the fans outside the stadium wanted to bring up. And I think a lot of it aligns to, to that point. And, and what I would say, what I would say is I, I thought that that was just superb the way they did that. As a fan of a club who was deemed not to be in the top six, to see fans who, let's face it, their clubs by being in the Super League would have taken off. They would have left the Aston Villas of this world behind for dead. It was so good to see the fans of these clubs who could have just put self-interest first and thought, amazing, you know, who cares about all them? We're going to be even better. We're going to be even richer. Football for us is going to be incredible. Who cares about them? It was incredible to see the fans of, of those clubs actually stop and think about the fans of clubs like mine. Which is exactly what we're going to get to. But first, we are going to take our ad break. So thanks to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. And like I said, when we get back, we're talking specifically about the impact of the supporters, possible penalties, um, and, and kind of where we go from here. So be right back. All right, Nick, over to you, man. The impact of the supporters. And did they really impact it? Or was it just all the media? Yeah, Matt. I mean, look, the the story of Tuesday was the fans. Um you know, and whether or not, uh, as we titled our last podcast, the fans stopped this from happening or or they were a part of it or they had no impact whatsoever, but put on a show regardless. Uh, it, it was a incredible scene outside of Stan- outside of Stanford Bridge, outside of uh, Stadium at Leeds at Ellen Road. Um, how how much impact do you think that this had on the boards who were considering whether to drop? the ESL or, or not. I mean, I think the full-throated um, non-endorsement of this league from fans across the world was was pretty evident on Sunday as, as this news broke. But uh, I kind of want to get your sense for how this might have impacted Chelsea sports specifically. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think it, it massively impacted. It was a huge miscalculation on the part of these clubs. I think they... They calculated on the fact that their fans, while possibly being slightly embarrassed about it, would jump on board and get excited about it and their loyalty to their clubs and putting their clubs first would override any sort of greater sense of good. And they horribly miscalculated that. 
Um, I think the reaction of fans, because let's face it, you wouldn't have had the reaction of the government. You know, we had the government come out and say that they were going to try and outlaw it. We had our royal family come out and talk about it. You know, Prince William put out a statement. Those people wouldn't have put out their statements without the fans. So one thing led to another. So the fans started what just became a worldwide revolt. Yeah, a worldwide revolt against it. And that was because of the fans. So the fans had a huge impact. I do think that the wheels in motion at Chelsea to, to come out were in motion before people turned up at Stamford Bridge. They had to be because we got wind of the fact that Chelsea had started preparing uh, the legalities of coming out at maybe about half six, seven o'clock. If we're getting wind of that, then it's got to have started earlier in the day. You know, it, it does. We don't. It doesn't start with when when we get wind of it. But they would have been influenced by what what they had already seen with the fans and, and the, what they knew was coming. And what the Chelsea fans did do is they hammered home the message that nothing like this can can happen again. You know, it it, it just so, simply won't be stood for. So the fans made a huge impact in terms of all the global reaction, in terms of making the club step back, and also in terms of setting a message, I think, and sending a message for for now the future. How, how is it possible? I mean, it just, like, I, I work in advertising, so the, the, the process doesn't make sense to me. How is it possible that the PR arm of the club wouldn't have seen this reaction coming given how Chelsea fans generally feel about most decisions at board level. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I mean, like how, how is it? I, I frankly am just shocked that no one could have seen this coming. The obvious thing that was coming couldn't have seen this coming. So like, what, like how, how is my question? Well, at, at PR level, they would have only learned of it on Sunday shortly before it was made public because people, this was how clandestine and, and secret the whole thing was and how filthy it was, is that, you know, high-powered PR people at football clubs were, were pretty much informed on Sunday. Um, and they were also informed that they were not in charge of the PR for the, the Super League and therefore they couldn't do anything. So the PR was all put into the hands of one PR firm and clubs were not allowed to act on their own. So if you're going ahead with the Super League and you've signed up to it, however much you might either want to put a statement out or try and explain things or try and do whatever. And I don't know whether Chelsea wanted to do that or not. I'm not trying to say, oh, yeah, Chelsea wanted to do this. But I know for a fact they couldn't. Legally of what they were in, there was one PR firm who were handling the PR and the PR was taken out of the club's hands. It was an absolute and utter car crash shitstorm. The worst <laughs> PR... I've ever noticed. I mean, basically, they dropped a bomb on English football and stood back, but then allowed, then completely lost the argument because no one said anything. None of these owners or clubs said anything. And they gave everybody sort of 48 to 72 hours to to mobilise a campaign against it. And, and it's fortunate they did, actually, because if they'd have PR'd it well, it might have been harder for people to wrestle back. I was thinking about that too, and I don't know. I'll give it to you right, Dan. It's I, again. I was just surprised how hands off this whole thing was because you're like, okay, but maybe maybe the greedy people have an idea and have a plan. And then obviously hearing Florentino Perez's comments about the FIFA generation and and shortening football matches and, and oh my gosh, it, he's it, lost it. He I tell lost you the what, plot. 
apparently hands off was better than hands on from Perez <laughs> because he did it no favor. So uh, anyways, I was just shocked. But Dan, I know you have a follow up with the supporters still. Yeah, just to, from your perspective, Matt, you know, and just in terms of what you've seen, you know, uh, what did you think about kind of the specifics of the way that the Chelsea supporters kind of mobilized outside of Stamford Bridge? And I, I, maybe to the the impact that, you know, you think it can kind of have moving forward. You know, I think this is like a good example of how fans can demand more from the game because, you know, we, we, we don't go every week. We're not match going in that sense. We're match going in the once a year when there's not or twice a year when there's not a global pandemic going on. Uh, but things like, um, you know, uh, lower ticket prices, uh, travel included for going to away games, things that would potentially make the game better for supporters who do go to the ground. You know, do you see this working again in the future? Or was this just one moment in time where it would work and maybe not again? Well, first of all, I think all these clubs have got to work very hard now to repair the relationship between the fans because, you know, Chelsea supporters trust put out a very you know, good statement yesterday where they demanded sort of answers from from Bruce Burke and from Guy Lawrence. A trust has been broken. A trust has been broken. And I don't think it's going to be easily repaired. I don't think this is one of those instances when, for instance, the, the fans obviously will get annoyed by a team decision or a manager sacking or a player sale or something like that. And there's a bit of anger in the stadium and then you know, three wins later, it subsides. This is a different thing and they'll obviously support the team. But I don't think the anger towards what happened and the mistrust will just dissipate. So I think there's bridges to be built there and, and Chelsea and the other clubs will have to work hard to do that. And I do think, I'm not, if, if the apology was going to be an empty apology or a forced apology, then I don't think people should worry too much that Chelsea haven't apologised because it would feel forced and empty and I hate those things. What I think would be better now is for Chelsea to offer something back. I don't know what, like you say, whether it's in terms of travel to games, whether it's in terms of ticket prices, whether it can be in terms of better communication with fans. I think they need to offer something back to try and start rebuilding trust. Um, uh, I don't know whether an apology would people a lot of people would like an apology but I don't actually think whether that would achieve anything in terms of earning back trust because I think a lot of people would still see it as being quite hollow I think this is a time now for Chelsea to sit back and take stock and look at, at what they can offer back to the fans yes and, and that gets us back to costing them millions for this decision. So regardless, it was going to hit the bottom line. I mean, fans can't go to the stadiums, but I, it, and it's such a hard thing to support the staff and players, but hurt the front office. Because the way you hurt the club management is by not going. But if you don't go and don't pay for the match, then you hurt the, the playing staff. So... Absolutely difficult for the fans that, that, you know, made their voices heard, you know, on site. So how how about that impact to the players in the team? Do you have any yeah. understanding how they were processing the information? If they had opinions, obviously they couldn't really say it. We heard some Liverpool players make opinions, but did you get any kind of sense of what the players were going through? I think they were just 
confused. I think they were worried. You know, I think I think there was genuinely worry. I think obviously FIFA were threatening that players wouldn't be able to play for international teams. Um, there was talk of not being able to play in the World Cup. There was talk about being kicked out of the Champions League, which obviously Chelsea are due to play next week. There was a lot of worry over that. I also know that there was worry over were this to go ahead, safety issues. You know, it's not it's not overly dramatic to speculate that team buses would have been attacked over over this. You know, Manchester United going to Leeds when crowds are back is going to be a hostile atmosphere anyway. With this whole Super League thing, and I'm not just saying, I, I'm not making any sort of comment on Leeds fans here. This could be any fans. You could see things being thrown at, at team buses because the, the players would become the lightning rods for it. Online abuse. You know, it's... It's awful, awful online abuse they get anyway. And the players at these clubs, the online abuse they got, they would definitely get worse. So there was a lot of worry and fear running through their minds, which is why it completely ruined their preparation for the game. And it's exactly why you saw Liverpool draw at Leeds and Chelsea draw at Brighton. And also exactly why you saw, by the time it had gone, Tottenham just about managed to scrape a win. And, and, and Manchester City, I must say, played fantastically against my team last night. And... That, that pressure that had been on the previous night was was lifted off off the shoulders. Um, like I said, I, there's no doubt in my mind that this was affecting them, especially when you think about losing their place in their national teams, Dan, uh, potentially handing PSG. And like that would have cut UEFA real deep with their relationship with PSG, but to kick all three other clubs out and be like, well, uh, here, here you go. Take it and run with it. But... Um, there might yet be penalties to this whole thing. I mean, it's still waiting to be flushed out, but it sounds like they're still going to pursue it. I I think it's probably threats now. I think it's probably threats. I think, I know, having spoken to some people at other Premier League clubs, there are some, some Premier League clubs kind of baying for blood, but there are other Premier League clubs whose view is, we've won the war, we don't need executions now. Um, we need to work out how this war doesn't happen again rather than go around trying to kill more people. So I suspect, I think legally it's very tough to just throw teams out of competitions and things like that. And then I also think as the dust settles, there'll be less baying for blood and more just um, a determination that this can't happen again. But I mean, they, they've they've created their own penalties really because, you know, Bruce Buck's been kicked off Premier League committee, so Chelsea now don't have a say on that. All the big six executives who are on Premier League and UEFA committees are, are off them. They're not round. The, they're not running the show anymore. You know, they've they've really shot themselves in the foot. Then they're, they're no longer running the show. No one's going to trust them for a while. So any leverage they had to try and get through the sort of reforms that they they want that obviously benefit them. And let's face it, the big six have probably run. English football for the past 10 years that's changed now so they've actually imposed penalties on themselves as you say their decisions will cost them money anyway because they, they're going to end up having to spend money to try and repair things there may well have even been a slight fine for for pulling out of what they'd agreed to sign up to I don't I don't know on that that's speculation um it's going to cost them it's it's going to cost them anyway so I just can't believe that they've put themselves in, in this position. Um, I don't, like I say, I, I would be surprised if the sort of penalties or punishment, 
If there were, I think it would probably only be fines because I think, obviously, as you say, sporting penalties are actually not hurting the people who made the decisions. They're hurting the managers and the players. And it, it's quite clear that they had nothing to do with this and were put in as awkward position as, and as bad position as, as everybody else. So, I think the, maybe the question then, I know you tweeted this, but you know we saw Edward Word probably uh, speed up his exit for Manchester United based on this. We've seen a couple other clubs make some massive adjustments to their organizational structures. But I think you hypothesized on, on Twitter that there's not maybe going to be that same type of shakeup at Chelsea post-decision. Yeah, well, I, I didn't just hypothesize on it. I mean, I, I spoke to people and there's no plans. Now, look, that could be forced to change. You know, if the relationships can't be repaired and certain individuals become lightning rods for anger and and various other things, then that those are decisions that might have to be reviewed in time. You know, if, if their reputations are damaged to such an extent that it, it, it proves difficult for everybody, then in time that might have to be reviewed. Certainly immediately no one was going to resign immediately no one was going to be sacked that remains the case now whether Chelsea and individuals can sustain that over the fullness of time remains to be seen and that will a lot of that will lie directly on how angry the fans remain and how much there is a call you know there are let's be honest there is a large section of fans at the moment who want Bruce Buck and Guy Lawrence out you know, they they feel they should pay with their jobs, whether that's right or wrong. I don't actually know, because I'll be honest, I don't know how significant Bruce Buck and, and Guy Lawrence were to the whole thing. But there's a large section who want them out. Now, Chelsea don't want to sack them and they don't want to quit. Whether that has to change down the line if they become so unpopular, I don't know. I don't know. I think the last question we want to ask here is is just... Is there a positive uh, movement that can come out of this? And you were talking about Chelsea uh, having to kind of pay it forward a little bit with fans. But I think what the fans might have realized on Tuesday is that they they have a bigger part to play than maybe was let on previous to this. Yeah. I mean- um, and, and the question I want to ask is, is there a, is there a future where things like uh, – cleaning up other parts of the game, racism, ticket prices, all this other stuff is is now back on the table and fans might have a seat to, to help. What I don't think is going to happen, I don't think we'll move to a German model because I think we're too far down the line with what we've got. I don't think you can just suddenly change the ownership structures of clubs. But it can be done in different ways and, and clubs can form a greater part of the decision-making process or at least be consulted more um, and be more transparency. Cynically, I don't think it will happen. I hope it does. But cynically, I, I think it's unlikely to happen unless a lot of the ownerships change because they don't really operate that way. But I do think that football has weirdly found itself in a in a sort of healthier position than we've been in for a while. Um, you know, we, we now don't have a power of six who can dictate to the others what they want to do. It's been shown to them they can't do that. We have a fan base that completely united in English football. As I say, you know, Chelsea fans were out there protesting on behalf of Aston Villa fans, protesting on behalf of Sheffield United fans, West Brom fans, 
Crystal Palace fans, Everton fans, they weren't protesting for Chelsea because they were protesting against Chelsea. So we have a much healthier situation from that point of view. It will be interesting whether the UK government were using the row just to win votes and popularity or whether they are actually going to follow through on producing some legislation that helps to protect football clubs. That would obviously be positive if it happened. And there is a fan-led review and Tracy Crouch has been appointed chair of that fan-led review and it feels like more notice will now be taken of that fan-led review than it than it would have been in future and that I think it would be hard now for, for clubs just to ignore whatever um, recommendations come out of that fan-led review. So I think we are in a healthier place. I'm not naive enough to think all of a sudden we're going to have a utopia where fans are on board and where fans are helping people make the big decisions because I, I just think we're too we're still too far down the, the, the line we're in sort of thing. Yeah, I think that's probably like a fair balance of the, the fans definitely have a much stronger voice than maybe was led on to believe. But at the same time, these football hierarchies still have pretty tall walls around mm-hmm. uh, their proverbial fortresses. But hey, Matt, thank you so, so much. We covered on a lot of stuff. And uh, like I said, it we figured it had been an absolute whirlwind the last 72 plus hours for you. So again, thank you for jumping on and addressing our audience. We We just really appreciate it and all the coverage that you've been doing for this. No worries. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Well, as always, go check out Matt's newsletter. All right. He's always got his free newsletter, putting stuff out. Um, follow him on social. Tell him that you appreciate uh, him coming on the show. But uh, we'll be back. Let's see. Post-match, Nick? Is that the next one? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Assuming nothing else happens <laughs> between now and then. But yeah. 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 Fingers, fingers crossed, Chelsea fans. But that's going to wrap it up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.